This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. We are working our way through Matthew. Matthew has three big themes. The first theme is that Jesus is king, even greater than King David. The second theme is that he breaks the curse of sin and death. And the third is that he offers redemption. That is citizenship to his kingdom to anyone, especially the unlikely, those that you least expect. The last few weeks, we've talked about how the king expects his citizens to model his character. Thank you, Elijah, for that one. The king rewards his people as he sees fit. And tonight, the king recruits the unlikely. And we're talking about how Jesus heals these blind men who follow him. Let me set the context for you. For the third time, Jesus has predicted his death, where it will happen, when it will happen, and how it will happen. And then goes on to say that he would raise again from the grave three days later. Now, on the heels of this prediction that he is going to die a shameful sinner's death, James and John's mom comes to Jesus and asks that they would have seats of power in his kingdom. It's grossly ironic. And Jesus explains to his disciples that the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who have sacrificed the most and have made themselves the least. Power in the kingdom of heaven is for the purpose of serving, not for being served, not for personal gain. And it is on the heels of this speech that he is turning towards Jerusalem because in 10 days he will die that tragic sinner's death. And then three days later, raise again. So he is now leaving Jericho. He's on his way. He's just made this speech about who is the greatest in the kingdom, who are those who serve the most. I'm going towards my death. And he's walking out of Jericho, and he sees these blind guys on the side of the road. And that's where we're picking up tonight. I want to open with the confession that I really don't toe the line most of the time. And a big difference between me and Jesus can be found in something so simple. I remember we were still at the lighthouse. This may have been two years ago. A student came to me and said, hey, Pastor Dom, I really need to talk right now. And I'm like buzzing across the game room from one place to another. I've got like a list of things in my head. I'm like tunnel vision, like a horse on a track. And I'm like, great. Can we talk about that after service? Then you can have my full undivided attention. And the service came and it went. And from my distraction, I closed up and went home. And it wasn't until I'm going to bed that night that I'm like, oh my gosh. Someone asked me to talk with them, to pray with them. And I'm so wrapped up in busyness. I'm so wrapped up in my plan and my agenda that they were overlooked. They had to feel that I was just indifferent. And whenever we look at Jesus, we have to see the stark contrast that Jesus loves first. That Jesus always sees 
you. This is the character of our God. Psalm 146, 5 through 9. I want to look at this together. Blessed is he or she whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. That is a God who loves. And there is no one who is dejected. There is no one who is sad or hurting or broken that the Lord's attention is not fully on. And let's take a look at Jesus. Matthew 20, our story comes from 20, it's at the end of the chapter, verse 28. And we're going to pick up right at the end of Jesus' speech. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. Along with the disciples, Jesus is continually followed by crowds. And the very best of the, those who are in the crowds are simply there just to see Jesus as the latest magic act. Or maybe they want some sort of miracle for themselves. And the worst of those that are in the crowd are looking for ways to sabotage his ministry and to discredit him completely. These are the crowds. These are who's surrounding Jesus. And so they're following Jesus like flies. And mixed in the crowd are his disciples. Mixed in the crowd are Pharisees. And then just everyone else. And he's coming out of Jericho. And he spots over on the side of the road. Matthew 20, verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Why there? Why are these blind guys perched there? Well, it makes perfect logistical sense. They want to be seen by the most possible people. So sitting outside the city gate on the side of the road, everyone has to pass them. Now remember, there's, there's no welfare. There's no labor unions. These guys are blind. They have no opportunity to work for a living. Their only hope is to beg so that a handful of people have pity on them so they can have enough food for today. And tomorrow, they'll do it again. And as soon as there's not enough food, enough pity from the passerbyers, they will starve. That is their life. This is all they have to hope for, is one day at a time, a little at a time. And ultimately, they're just leeches off society. They're just there begging. And their call to Jesus is unexpected. And I want to zoom in just for a minute on their cry to Jesus. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. There's three huge things going on in what they're speaking, calling over the heads of the crowd, calling under the legs of the crowd from the side of the road where they're stuck, where they can't see anything. They're calling out to Jesus. One, they're calling him Lord. And Lord means master. 
And by master, they're acknowledging that everything is under his authority. More so, they're acknowledging that they are throwing themselves under his authority. Their only hope is that he would be master. And you know what? They're even banking that their physical limitations, their blindness, is under the authority of Jesus. Look at Psalm 146 again. Look how this opens up. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, her God. This is making him Lord. They are, he is my master. I belong to him and he is mine. Jesus is God, but they are declaring him to be their God. I think a side note here is that perhaps the greatest problem for unbelievers is not that God is invisible. I think the greatest problem for unbelievers is the tenet of the Christian faith that we have to submit to his authority and no longer ours. I think that's the real rub for a lot of us. Lord, have mercy on us. If he is God, he will perfectly radiate the character of God. Look who God is. Now, before we jump into this, if you're reading your Bible, almost every translation does this. If you find the word Lord in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is a replacement for the name of God, Yahweh, throughout the Bible. And it's built on the tradition going all the way back to the Jewish Bible that they would replace the name Yahweh with Lord out of respect. Now, back in Exodus 3, God gave Moses his divine name, Yahweh. And it is woven throughout the text. And so whenever we're looking at God declaring his name and defining his name, I think it's apt for us to replace his name back into it. So let's look at Exodus. Have mercy on us. They're calling out to Jesus. Why? Exodus 34, I'm going to start in verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning. Moses is going up Mount Sinai into the cloud, into the very presence of God, the very presence of God that shook the earth, that charred Mount Sinai to this day. And he's going up into the presence of God. And he's going as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving sin and transgression, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God has defined his own name and it is defined first as merciful and as gracious. And when these blind guys are on the side of the road and they're calling out, Lord, have mercy on us. They're making a declarative statement of who Jesus is and who they know his character to be based on who they know God to be. Listen to these adjectives or these action words in Psalm 146. Blessed is he whose help is in the name of God the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who 
executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets the prisoners free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. And Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the foreigners. And he upholds the widow and the fatherless. This is the God that they are crying out to. That God who lifts up, who loves, who watches over, who upholds, who gives. This is the God they're crying out to. They have no hope but God's mercy. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Why the title? God had promised King David that he was going to send a descendant. But his throne is going to be different than David's. David's going to die. But this descendant of David's would have an everlasting kingdom who would not die. And his kingdom would never fade. And so the Jews grabbed this and they began to build a picture of the Messiah. And prophets would speak towards this coming one. And the puzzle pieces came together to create a clearer and a clearer picture of who this Messiah would be. And he would be that descendant of David. He would judge the nations. He would be an interpreter of the law. He would bring a new covenant between God and man. He would remove sin. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. Again and again and again, these puzzle pieces were coming together. And ultimately, he's going to bring to pass God's eternal kingdom. And Isaiah... And the psalmist say very similar things about him. Take a look at this. Isaiah 42. I'm going to grab verse 1 to set it up and then we're going to jump to verse 6 and 7 for time's sake. God is speaking. Behold, my servant, this coming Messiah, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Remember the baptism of Jesus? He will bring forth justice to the nations. Let's jump forward to verse 6. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, from those who sit in darkness. Remember our psalm that we read? Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. We're seeing similar themes between people living hundreds of years apart, looking towards this coming Messiah. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The son of David is the Messiah. Because Jesus is Lord, he has authority over creation and the power to heal. Because Jesus is Yahweh, he is merciful and gracious to heal. Because Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, he came for them. He came for the unlikely, for the expected, unexpected, the blind, the prisoners, the foreigners, those who were dejected, those that were underfoot, those that society had outcast. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. You came for us. Let's keep going. Verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. 
You have to understand, in Jewish superstition, those who were the greatest sinners were the least in society. If they were sickly, if they were poor, if they were disabled in any way, it's because they were the greatest sinners. They were the most unclean before God, the least righteous. But those who were wealthy, those who were the most healthy and strong, they were the ones that God must have seen as most righteous. So he punishes the unrighteous with sickness and poverty, and he blesses the strong and with wealth, those who are most righteous. This is the way they saw things. And Jesus comes out of Jericho, and he hears them, and his attention goes right to them. And when everybody else puts them underfoot, when everybody else sees them as the least, as the most filthy, as the least righteous, they're the ones crying out. The most profound statement that can be uttered with their mouths. And you know what? The crowds that followed Jesus are the very ones who are rebuking the people that Jesus is coming from. Yeah, they followed Jesus physically, but they weren't following his character. They weren't following his person, and they certainly weren't following his example. No. The blind guys are rebuked. They're shut up. Jesus may have been the crowd's trophy, but he was not their master. No, Jesus' kingdom is upside down because the greatest is the least, and the least are those that God's eyes are on. And you know what? The blind men aren't discouraged. In desperation, they cry even louder to get over the crowd. Being told to shut up only makes them push harder towards Jesus. Their cries are desperate. They're heartfelt. They go to their innermost core, and they cry out to Jesus alone. They don't say, Peter, tell Jesus we're over here. Philip, get his attention. No, they're, they're trained on the only one who can save, the only one who can heal. Why? Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, Yahweh hears and delivers them from all their troubles. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the countenance of every believer. There will be no one in heaven who has not come to God crying out in desperation from our own sin. Knowing our place and knowing it's hopeless if it's not to be thrown under the mercy of God. If it's not going to be for his grace, if it's not for his goodness, if it's not for his mercy, there is no hope. This is the countenance of everyone who follows Jesus. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'm just too sinful. I'm too far gone. I've I've hurt too many people. I just haven't cared enough. I've got great news for you. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love this way, that while you're still a sinner, he died for you. Which means if you think that you're the one who's too far of a sinner, you're exactly the one that he's looking for. You just put yourself in the perfect category to be loved by the God who sees you. Matthew 20, let's keep going. 31, the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping 
Jesus called them. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus contrasts the crowd entirely. When they're rebuking them, Jesus stops and calls them. He's on his way somewhere. And suddenly there's this this providential distraction, this holy interruption. Yeah, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And when he hears the call, he stops. Like that is the God that we serve. That is the God that is worth calling out to be the Lord of our lives, is the God who stops for us. He stops and then he calls them. This is such a perfect example of Jesus' teaching. That the God of all power in the universe did not come to put people underfoot, to put people down, but he came to serve. He came to hear and to respond to those who are calling out to him. Because these men occupied a space in his heart. He made space on his itinerary. He made them the most important people in his world. He called to them to come. And you have to imagine, these guys are coming in darkness. Do you think that, do you think that anyone was going to help them up in their filth? Anything, anyone's going to get dirty and grab these beggars off the side of the road? No. No, to respond to Jesus' call, they have to grope with their hands in front of them, feeling their way to Jesus, listening for the sound of his voice in total darkness, and the crowd divides like the Red Sea in Moses, and they follow the voice of Jesus, reaching desperately in front of them. And just imagine, put yourself in their shoes, And stopping, Jesus called to them, what do you want me to do? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. He touches them, the unclean, the sinners, the lowest in society, those who have been sitting in the filth, begging for who knows how long. And just imagine being them trying to find your way towards the voice of Jesus, do you think it startled them when they felt his hand? Do you think they recoiled a little bit? To feel the warm, rough, loving hands of Jesus Christ. The same hands that it's going to express perfect, unfathomable love by grasping nails is now holding their faces. That is a love that opens the eyes of the blind. And then light pierces their darkness and floods into them. And as they begin to see, the first vision they have is the face of light himself, of love himself. John says that light came into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Jesus overcomes their darkness when it was impossible for anyone else. This is entirely in character for Jesus. He often responds to his holy interruptions. And you know what? There's a lot of big miracles in the Old Testament, but there was never in the Old Testament a single time where the eyes of the blind were opened. Not once. 
And yet, Isaiah and the psalmist make it very clear that Yahweh would open the eyes of the blind. And the very hands of God touches their eyes and they see. Jesus is perfectly in character. He stops in his tracks for Zacchaeus in the tree. He crosses the Sea of Galilee for one demon-possessed man. He makes a detour over to Samaria to meet one woman by a well. This is the God who's willing to step out of heaven with all power and glory set aside to be the perfect servant to love us. This is perfectly in character for Jesus. Ellie Wiesel was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And she once said, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Love that is indifference is not love at all. Love is never inactive. It's never complacent. It cares, and love cares hard. In Jesus, we meet love himself. There's two things that we can take away from this. One, may we be people that follow Jesus. Matthew 20, 34 says, Immediately they recovered their sight and followed Jesus. Falling into the crowd of spectators, falling into the crowd of Pharisees, falling into the crowd of those who just want to see the show, now come two people whose lives were flipped upside down, who have encountered the very hands of love himself, who have seen the face of Jesus in a way the crowd has totally missed. They move from blindness to illumination to discipleship. May that be us. It is the only correct response to knowing who Jesus is. In John, there's a story in John where Jesus lays out these really hard truths and those crowds that we've been talking about for the last weeks walk. They leave. They can't handle what Jesus has said. Look at this. John 6, 66-69. After this, many disciples turned back. Disciples of Jesus, followers who saw all the miracles. Jesus says a few hard things in John 6, and they leave. So Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Listen to this response. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Christianity is about who Jesus is. And once your eyes are open to who he is, once you've seen his identity, it's inconceivable to turn back and walk away. We will follow him all our days because he's opened not just the eyes physically, but he's opened the eyes of our hearts. Matthew is intentionally comparing physical blindness to heart blindness. And if Jesus is the only one who can open the eyes of the physically blind, he is the only one who can open our eyes who are spiritually blind. Look at this, Matthew 6, 21 through 23. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So where your treasure is, where your priorities are, this is what you're focused on. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What's this talking about? It's not talking about your physical eyes. 
is saying, where is your vision? Do you see Jesus for who he is? Because if that's your treasure, that goes to heaven. That's stocking up for eternity. But if your eyes are dark, there's nothing left. Your whole life is full of darkness. But Jesus was the word who stepped as light into darkness, and the darkness could not overcome him. Jesus is the only one who can open spiritual eyes. A crowd of fans surrounded Jesus. But despite their ability to see with their eyes, they were absolutely blind to who he was. And here are two beggars who are blind on the side of the road who can't see with their eyes, who already understood who Jesus was when they heard him coming. Before their eyes were even opened, they're crying out to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Master, sovereign of all creation. Yahweh, merciful, good, and gracious. Messiah, who is here for redemption. Come and hear us. The commentator Matthew Henry says this, None follow Christ blindfolded. He, first, by his grace, opens men's eyes and so draws their hearts after him. It's a, this is silly, but if this helps you, go for it. If it doesn't help you, just forget I talked about it. It's almost like I called somebody up here and I said, do you want this Snicker bar? You know, yeah, I totally want a Snicker bar. I'm down, Snicker bar all the way. And I'm like, but there's a catch. To have the Snicker bar, I'm going to put a blindfold on you. And you're like, Snicker bar, I want a Snicker bar, let's go. Snicker bar all the way. And I'm like, okay. So I hand you the Snicker bar and I grab the, put the blindfold around your head and now I've got you. And there's someone over here going, don't trust him, he's bad news. Follow my voice, come towards me. And I'm going, la, 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 la. You can't hear anything, la, la, Snicker bar, Snicker bar, la, 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 Snicker bar. And you're like, Snicker bar, I love my Snicker bar, yeah. <laughs> when we choose sin, we are blinded. And there is a voice calling us towards redemption. And because we are under the blinding of the enemy, we're under the blinding of our own flesh and our own sin, our own sin is crying out louder than this voice, la, 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 la. And the only one who can give us vision and pull the blindfold off and slap the snigger bar out of our hands is the very one who can grab the enemy by the collar and drag him away and set us free. There is no other solution because that voice the voice of our sin and the voice of the enemy and the voice of the world around us is so much louder and our blindness is so much deeper that only Jesus can save us. Rock on. Is the Lord working in your heart tonight? Have you been putting off, waiting on just the right time? Do you really kind of admit that you have one foot on both sides of the fence, sort of like rocking it depending on what crowd you're in? Is there maybe like a light bulb going off? Wow, my gosh, Jesus is amazing. I want that. I desperately, desperately want that. And I've got no other hope except that he is faithful. Is there anybody in here that something's pricking inside? Oh. May you, may you fall at the feet of Jesus and cry out for mercy. May he lift you up 
and open your eyes. May you respond with following him all the days of your life. May you see him as the God who loves you so. Follow Jesus. And the second is those who are in here who are under the blood of the Lamb, who have called on him and made him your Lord. Follow Jesus. Love like Jesus loves. Jesus taught his disciples to love through this one story about a good Samaritan. And I'm not going to rehash the story. I think you know it. But the point of the story is not be kind to hurting people. The point of the story is show care to the people who are hardest to love. The very people that you avoid, that you don't want anything to do with, those are the ones that Jesus goes for. And if our prejudice, if our biases, if our hurts, if our unforgiveness, if our desire to avoid inconvenience is stopping us, it is wickedness, it is damnable, and it opposes the very character of God. Follow Jesus by loving like Jesus. There's a world of blind men and blind women, and there's a world of crowds, and followers of Jesus must leave the crowd and bring light to the blind. Jesus in Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Men and women of God, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've never heard about? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches to them? You are the light of the world. There's a wonderful women's minister named Lisa Turkhurst. I want to read a a few sentences from a devotional of hers. The adventure that follows following Jesus just might blow you away. Will it be inconvenient? Maybe. Will it cost you in ways that stretch you? Sometimes. Does it force you to live with a less self-centered outlook? (laughs) Yes. Does living to follow Jesus at every turn bring joy that you can't get any other way? Absolutely. It is the very thing your soul was created to do. You are the light of the world. We must leave the crowd and reach out to the blind like Jesus did. And I heard a great story this past week. And I want to share that story with you. In fact, I want to invite Elijah up, because he was the one who told me the story. Elijah this past weekend, come on down. Elijah this past weekend spent time in New Orleans ministering in the midst of Mardi Gras chaos. And I wanted to share a story he told me. None of it was, was by, my, by my power at all. I actually really didn't want to go... Um, but the Holy Spirit pushed on my heart all week um, through my friend at work who invited me to, to go on this evangelism um, outreach in New Orleans. It was, um, it was Sunday night from like 5 to 9 o'clock-ish. And oh, we were in the heart of New Orleans uh, during like some serious parading. And um, the people we saw was, was just nuts. It was insane. Uh, it was... Kind, the kind of people that I would never, ever, ever like just go to, uh, but that the Holy Spirit sent me to. And so, uh, you know, we're preaching on the on the street corners. We got little like microphone sets and things, 
and we're handing out gospel tracts. And I hand one to this one guy, and he's like, what is it? And like most people assumed that it was like an invitation to a party after the parades. And I was like, it's an invitation. And he was like, oh, okay, uh, to what? And then I was like, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's an, it's an invitation to, to forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And he was like, oh, all right. And he goes to leave, and I was like, it's really important. And he turns back around. And I told him, I want to see you at the end of all this. And he's holding this little piece of paper, and he's like, explain it to me. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit was pushing on his heart as well, but it was to take what was being explained to him and laid out the gospel for him. And I hope that that was the moment that he went from a blind man to someone who can see Christ clearly. I'm still praying for him. Um, I hope one day he shares his testimony and saves other people. Go out. Evangelize. Talk to people. Cross the road like Jesus did. Call the unlikely. It's, it's what he requires and it's, it's, it's how you love like him. Thanks, Elijah. I love that he was walking away and then turns around and says, explain it to me. That's so cool. That's the Holy Spirit at work. One of my three living heroes, Bob Goff, once said, loving people the way Jesus did means living a life of constant interruptions. Bring it. May we love like Jesus loved. Recap. The blind men had a profound grasp on who Jesus was. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Spoke to Jesus' identity, his character, and his mission. Because Jesus is Lord, he has authority over creation. Because he is Yahweh, he is merciful. Because he is the Messiah, he came for them. King Jesus recruits the unlikely for his kingdom's followers. He alone opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. And those who have seen Jesus for who he is become his followers. So here's two challenges for you. One, I challenge you to read a gospel. Read it slowly. Really study it. Digest it. Study who Jesus is. Always be asking the question, what does this reveal about Jesus? Because what it reveals about Jesus is what it reveals about God himself. Because Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. And then two, embrace holy interruptions. Physically stop. Whenever you recognize that this is a holy opportunity, physically stop your body Turn and look at that person in the eyes. Clear your head and give them your full attention. Make them the most important person in the world to you in that moment. Heavenly Father, surrender and give this all to you. Lord, I pray that your word was preached, that seeds were planted, and because of your people tonight, many will experience the love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.